Thank you for listening today to our podcast here at Word of Life. We're delighted that you tuned in. And I pray that while you hear us talk, you hear the Holy Spirit speak. I know God's got a big plan for you. We're excited to be a part of that plan. Hopefully we will see you sometime soon, maybe even this weekend. Until then, we pray you have a wonderful, wonderful week. Well, good morning. Word of Life, Heiko. Happy Thanksgiving to you. Merry Christmas to you. It's true, I do come bearing gifts today, so I want to make sure each of you get a copy of this book, uh, Money with a Purpose, when you leave today. If you don't, uh, if you've already read it, or if you already have a copy, get one and give it away as a Christmas present, and they won't even know you didn't have to pay for it. (laughs) Amen. Well, Pastor Joel, a few uh, weeks ago, shared uh, a word, uh, I think that was received during Wednesday prayer, about... Uh, a shaking that was going to take place uh, in the world. Uh, it was like a, a, a jet that going, breaking the sound barrier. It shakes as it goes through the sound barrier. And on the other side, there's smooth, um, smooth uh, traveling. And, and, uh, and he was just saying that there's going to be a shaking coming in this world uh, that um, will, be, will shake whatever can be shaken, but it's going to be followed by a time of great uh, growth and revival for the church and for for the world. So we're, we are looking forward to that. And how many of you know things have been shaken recently? We've had COVID, we've had political turmoil, we've had all sorts of stuff going on, and, but those things that can't be shaken won't be shaken. And you know, today, uh, well, this is not a time for those that are of, of, uh, of weak faith. It's time to exercise our faith. It's time to stand strong in our faith. You know, it's through faith and patience that we inherit the promises. And so today I just want to share a little bit with you, really from, from the book that uh, you're going to receive after the service, I want to share a little bit about the well-being of your finances during this time when things are really being shaken, and to give you an idea of the, of the promises that God has given, kind of as a testimony of mine. The book is also not only my testimony, but it's also a Bible study of the first uh, well, all 10 verses of Psalm 112. So it's a good, uh, easy read. I was, I was telling the first service that a couple of weeks ago I was uh, in a deer stand with my 14-year-old grandson, Carter. And he told me, he said, Granddad, he said, uh, uh, the, I've got to read a book by a Mississippi author for school and I've got to write a book report on it. He said, I've decided that I'm going to use your book. And I said... Carter, that means so much to me. That's so, so nice. And he said, yeah, it was only 80 pages long. <laughs> so, so anyway, uh, there you have a recommendation from, uh, from a 14-year-old. And it, it's not very long, but it's chock full of scripture and it's chock full of good information that I think will help you as you uh, navigate uh, through uh, times that where things are being shaken. You know, I really hesitated this week. I thought to myself, you know, this is, you know, I know there are people even in this church, that probably have been affected economically by, by COVID and, and some that may have lost their job or may have reduced pay. And I said, you know, this is probably a terrible time. I look heartless and, and I look like I'm a, a heartless businessman up here talking about people's money and what God wants to do. But then God spoke to me and said, you know, this is exactly the time that we need, they need to hear this. So I, th- I believe this is a word in season uh, for this, uh, for this church and for believers everywhere because God has some great things in store. You know, there are over 7,500 promises in the Bible, 7,500. And there's about you know, over 3,000 of those promises are 
uh, ones that are applicable to us today, ones that we can stand on. God has promised us certain things, but they don't just happen. You know, um, as they were praying, as they were finishing up the worship, um, the, the prayer was, Lord, your will be done in this place today. You know, God's will is not automatically done. It doesn't automatically happen. Um, otherwise, Jesus, when he taught his disciples to pray, he told them to pray. He said, pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. If it was going to happen automatically, he wouldn't have told them to pray that. Also, you know, we know it's God's will that everybody should be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. That's, that's God's will. But we also know that not everybody's that's going to happen. So God's will doesn't happen automatically. His promises don't happen automatically. There are whole denominations that take on the attitude of kesara sarah. You know, what will be will be. And, and if it happens, it must have been God's will. Well, nothing could be further from the truth. And so today I want to talk a little bit about that and how we, how we obtain the promises. You know, you have to mix your faith with the promises of God to see them come to pass. And so we're having an opportunity now and all this shaking that's going on to say, well, just, I'll just flow with it and just see what happens. Well, that's not the plan and purpose of God at all. And so today I want to share with you a little bit about how we do that, how we can inherit the promises that God has, has given us. You know, there's a... Um, I have a story uh, kind of give you a little background about why Psalm 112 uh, is was so important and so impactful in my life. Uh, and I have to go all the way back to the mid-80s. Most of you probably remember uh, the Metro Center uh, that was built in 1978. I looked that up, by the way, and is no longer the mall. But back in the mid-80s, that was a happening place. That was the place where... That's where, the, that's where you went when you went to the mall, and it was a nice place. Well, it's been closed down since then, but, but, uh, but back then, that was the place. Robin and I were living in Baton Rouge, uh, Louisiana, and, but Lynn and David, Robin's sister and brother-in-law, uh, now uh, not only that, but business partners with us, they lived in Florida, right outside of Madison. and We came to Jackson, the Jackson area, to visit them during Christmas time. And we went, decided we'd go to the mall. I think uh, Reagan, uh, who is here, David's daughter, David and Lynn's daughter today, and Jason and Dylan and Aiden, nice to see you guys today. Thanks for coming. But I think Reagan was probably about five years old at the time, and uh, now she's got children that are o- older than that. But we went to the mall uh, and started walking around like people do during Christmas time, and the lights were up. And, and you know, as, as, as I was walking through the mall, uh, out of the corner of my eye, I... I caught a glimpse of this man and his wife. You know, sometimes, you know how some people just stick out to you and you see them and something impresses you about them? Well, this couple uh, were walking through the mall, didn't look like they had a care in the world. They weren't worried about, you know, maxing out their credit cards to, to buy Christmas presents for people. They weren't concerned about anything. And the thing I remember about this guy the most is that he had a red and green uh, plaid shirt on. He looked like Christmas, you know, and, and it kind of you know, stuck out to me. And I said, this guy is a, is a man of means. He doesn't worry about money at all. In fact, he probably doesn't even know when payday is. You know, have you ever thought about that? People that are people of means, it's a surprise when somebody brings them a paycheck or when the paycheck shows up in their thing. You say, oh, is that today? So if, if you're a person of means, you don't even have to worry about when payday is. And I remember thinking to myself as I watched this couple, and I don't have any idea whether any of this was true or not. They could have been up to their eyeballs in debt. But I had this impression that they were people of means. And I thought to myself, I want to be like that someday. 
I, want, I don't want to have to wonder or I have to worry about when the next paycheck is coming. I don't, I don't even want to know when next payday is. And, and I was far from that at that point. Robin and I were believers. We were tithers. We'd been tithing since we were uh, young. I started tithing when I was 16, had my first job, and I believed in tithing. We believed in that the devourer would be rebuked for our sakes. But that's about all I believed at that point. And, and at the time, there was, a, there was a, uh, a teaching in the church, and still is, a pro- the prosperity message. I had a real problem with the prosperity me- message. People teaching you that, that God had wanted to make you wealthy and, and, um, and God wanted to make you rich so that you could buy bigger houses and, and more cars. It just didn't fit with what I understood the gospel to be, that was serving God and serving other people. And it just rubbed me the wrong way. And so because of that, I was, I was opposed to, to the prosperity message. I wanted to be prosperous, but I just wasn't sure if God would be okay with that because I just didn't feel right about it. Robin, on the other hand, didn't have a problem with it at all. And, uh, and, but we had this conversation many times. So as I looked at this couple in the mall, Back in the mid-80s, uh, and I was probably 27 years old or so, you know, here I was wondering about Christmas and knowing that we were going to max out our credit cards and knowing that, uh, that you know, we were going to probably pay them off the first part of the year and then we'd probably max them out again later in the year for something else that came up. And, um, but I wanted, to be, I wanted to be a man of means. I wanted to be somebody that, that didn't have to worry about that stuff. Well, fast forward about three years, and we moved to Jackson. And we were attending uh, another uh, church, a, a word church. You know, word church is a church that believes what God said and that God means what he says. And, and, it's, and it's not just a suggestion. These are promises of God that, that you can hang on to. And so, but I was still kind of stuck in this rut. I, I, I wanted to be uh, a man of means. I wanted to be prosperous. But I just, um, I couldn't get to that level because I had this, turmoil within myself about whether God really was okay with that or not. And so I'm standing at the back of this church one Sunday morning in, in 1988. I was 30 years old at the time. Robin was 30-ish as well. I'm not going to say whether she's above, whether she was above 30 or below 30. You can figure that out for yourself. But uh, I was standing in the back, and the, uh, this woman in our church came up to me and said, Rick, you are a Psalm 112 man. And I looked at it, and I wasn't really sure how to react because I had no idea what Psalm 112 said. I just said, thank you very much. And, uh, and I went and sat down in my seat, and I then started flipping through my Bible. That's back when people actually brought Bibles to church. Now we've got iPads and phones and everything else. But I was flipping through my Bible, and I found Psalm 112, and I, I began to read it. And, and you can look it up in your Bible if you want to. But Psalm 112, verses 1 through 4, says, Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man that fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commandments. His seed will be mighty on the earth. His descendants will be mighty on the earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches will be in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Under the upright there arises light in the darkness. He's gracious and full of compassion and righteous. Now, I have to be honest with you. When I got to verse 3 that said, Wealth and riches will be in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. I stopped right there. I didn't need to read anything else. The woman had just called me a Psalm 112 man, and this scripture said that wealth and riches will be in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. This is what I had so much, so much, had so much of a problem with 
uh, about whether God was okay for me having, having money. But this scripture says, was a promise of God, one of those 3,000 that said, if you love God, you love his word, then wealth and riches will be a byproduct of that. And I sat down there and I thought about that. And I, and I said, you know, this is amazing. I, I noticed this one little word, this conjunction, this and that connected wealth and riches with righteousness. It said, wealth and riches will be in his house and his righteousness endures forever. They weren't mutually exclusive. You could be wealthy and righteous at the same time, contrary to what my thinking was up to that point. And I had, I had really struggled with this. And, you know, any time our thinking and God's thinking don't mix, don't match, whose thinking needs to change? Our thinking, right? And so I began to say, okay, well, if that's what God thinks about it, and that's what God has just called me a Psalm 112 man, and he's, which says that wealth and riches will be in his house and his righteousness endures forever, then I'm going to change my thinking to, to line up with what God says. And so from that point forward, this was in 1988, I began, I really got a hold of that. That hope, that promise of God was, was buried into my heart and I began to meditate on it and dwell on it. Now, did things change the next day? Was I suddenly uh, wealthy and and uh, have riches in my house and righteous? Well, no. In fact, not at all. I was still, I still had financial issues. I still, my, our needs were met. They had always been met, but I never had, could get over that hurdle. But I believed what God had spoken to me, and I began to put it in my heart. You know, there's a, there's a principle um, that it's not in the book, so you might want to listen to this part, but I, it's in my next book. <laughs> it, I have a, another book in my heart. I haven't written the first line yet, but there's a, there is a principle uh, found in Mark 4. It's also found in Matthew 13 and in Luke 8. It's the parable of the sower. And it's how the kingdom of God operates. You know, as I mentioned a minute ago, there are 7,500 promises in the Bible. There, there are 3,000 that we know of, over 3,000, that apply to you and me. Yet most of these promises we never obtain because we don't follow the the. the the path that God wants us to take in order to see these promises fulfilled. You know, the, the Israelites, when they are in the wilderness, we find out in Hebrews that the word promised to them had no effect because they didn't mix it with faith. And so all these promises that are out there that God has promised us, including Psalm 112, you have to mix it with faith. If you don't mix it with faith, you're never going to see it come to pass. But Psalm Mark 4 is... is the most important parable. Jesus said it was the most important parable. Mark 4 is, um, Jesus said, if you don't understand this parable, then how are you going to understand any of the other parables? How, you, how are you going to understand how the kingdom operates if you don't understand the basics of this parable? Well, it's a long parable, but I'm going to, I've got a paraphrase of, of this parable that I want to read to you because I think this is exactly what he's, what he's saying and how important it is. This is how the kingdom of God operates. God has given us his word, his promises. Some people never really hear those promises because the devil steals that promise promise immediately from their hearts before it can sink in and take root. Others hear God's promise to them, but when the promise is not fulfilled right away, they abandon it. Others allow themselves to be talked out of holding on to the promise for various reasons. And finally, there are some who hear and hold on to that promise, allowing faith to build in their heart, talking about his promise with their mouths, and don't give up. Those are the people that see a manifestation of the promise given to them. So 
we're all given these exceeding great and precious promises, as, as they're called. But why don't we receive those promises? Why, don't we, why, don't, why is it not evidenced in our lives? And, and so I had this promise from God, Psalm 112. And by the way, it's not just a promise to me. Psalm 112 is in there for you as well. And I want to I challenge you today. I want you to change your thinking because, you know, most people, and the way I was, is I, I really didn't think you could be wealthy and righteous at the same time. But nothing could be further from the truth. There is a plan for not only are, is, it, is God okay with you having wealth, but there is a purpose for your wealth. And we, as we read Psalm 112, we'll begin to see what that purpose is. And we're not going to do all 10 verses, obviously, today, but I, I want to talk to you about verse 3, which tells us that it's okay with God for you to have wealth and riches in your house. It's not, you're not uh, part of the enemy's camp if you're wealthy. You know, there's a, there is a, um, there's this attitude in our country these days that if you're wealthy, people don't like you. You know, it, it, that Congress is always trying to tax the wealthy. Well, they don't pay enough. They need to pay more. And if you have something, they want to take it away. They want to redistribute it to somebody else. But that's not the plan of God. You know, God says it's okay to be wealthy. It's okay to have wealth in your house. You know, back in 1988 when I was given the scripture, it, it, it so impacted me, and I knew that this was for me because this woman who I had great respect for told me that I was a Psalm 112 man, that I began to come up with uh, little sayings that I could confess the word. And because, as I mentioned, things didn't change right away. In fact, it was just the same old, I went to work the next day and had the same old, same checkbook and the same uh, uh, accounts that I had before. Nothing has changed. Nobody came and dropped a big sum of money into my account. It was just like it had always been. But I had, there was a difference. I had a promise. I had a promise. And I began to write these little things that I would say daily. It became my, my declaration or my confession every day. I would say things like, uh, there's wealth in my house and I love my spouse. That's two scriptures. That's Ephesians chapter 5 and Psalm 112 verse 3. It's two of them combined together. There's wealth in my house and I love my spouse. And so I began to say that every day. And there's another scripture in, in chapter uh, 112 verse 9 that says he disperses abroad. He gives his gifts to the poor. And so I began to say uh, I'm dispersing abroad by the grace of God. And so these are things that I began to, to uh to say and to allow the, the scripture to get into my heart because what do you have to mix with, with the promise? You have to mix faith. And so by doing this, by hearing the word over and over again and by saying it with my mouth, I was mixing faith and eventually, at 32 years later is where we are now. I'm, 60, I'm 62. It was 30 when the promise was given. It takes some time. You know, Abraham, when he received the promise that the, his, the chosen son, Isaac, would be, would be born, the promised son, it was 25 years from the time that God told him that he was going to bring forth that son. And there's a lot of stuff that happened in those 25 years that, that tried to get uh, that promise from being fulfilled. Well, when we get a promise from God, one of these 3,000 promises doesn't mean just because God promised it to you that you're going to get it. You've got to um, meditate on it, you've got to mix faith with it, and you've got to stay with it. You know, the, 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 prob, the uh, parable that Jesus told about the soils, he said immediately after the word is sown, the devil tries to come and steal the word out of your heart 
Some people, you know, they never even get it into their heart. The devil takes it and, and convinces them that this is not for them. But other people, you know, they, the word goes in, they receive it with joy immediately, but because of difficulties, because things just don't look like they're going to happen like the promise said, they give up on it, and they never obtain the promise. But there are some of us, some of you, that will get the promise, put it in your heart, begin to speak it with your mouth, and don't let go. Be like a bulldog till you see this thing come to pass. It took a long time, and I would say probably um, in the last 10 years or so, uh, this, this promise has begun to uh, uh, be manifested in my life. You know, I told you about this guy's red shirt, red and, and green plaid shirt. About 10 years ago, uh, I, I bought a red and plaid green shirt. And um, I didn't tell anybody why I was buying this shirt, but I was, it reminded me of this guy in the mall. And I would wear this shirt. He, he looked like a Christmas tree coming down the, through the mall. But I bought one of these shirts, and it was... And so I've been wearing this thing ever since. But every time I put on that shirt, and really more than that, I think about this couple every Christmas. But every time I put on that shirt, I think about the promise that God made to me, and I was going to be a man of means just like this guy. So the shirt reminded me of that. I still have that shirt, by the way, and uh, it, it's a little tight now. But uh, it, back in, in uh, 10 years ago, it, was, it fit really, really well. But, but, uh, but anyway, I had to do that, and that was one of the things I did, to put something before my eyes. You know, when God told Abraham his descendants were going to be like the sand of the sea, he said, look at the sand of the sea, or look at the stars in the sky. Look at those things that generate faith, that, that cause you to remember the promise of God. You've got to hold on to the promise that God has given you. In this case, God gave me the promise that wealth and riches would be in my house. And I had, I had a lot of opportunities not to... Uh, not to believe it. A lot of opportunities to give up during this last 32 years. But if you will hang on, if you will hold on to the promise of God, it will come to pass. In other words, uh, if you mix it with faith, faith is the, is the key. You know, there was a... Um, you remember the story of the woman with the issue of blood that, um, that said, if I can only touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made whole. And then she went and touched his hem, and he was in a crowd, and he said, who touched me? And they all said, well, there's a lot of people here. A lot of people touched you. And no, there was somebody that, that really touched me, and, and there was faith involved. But he turned to the woman and said, woman, your faith has made you whole. Your faith has made you whole. It was her faith in what she knew that Jesus would do for her that caused the healing to come. It wasn't because Jesus laid his hands on her. He didn't touch her. She touched him. And there are many stories in that throughout the Scripture. In fact, remember the, when Jesus went to Nazareth, his hometown? And it said there he could do no mighty works because of their unbelief. They didn't, they didn't mix it with faith. You know, um, um, in my case, you know, this was, this was something I had to do. I had to put something before my eyes. I had to put that shirt on. I had to do these things to remind myself what God's promise was to, you, to me. And, but, and day after day, we, I would say those scriptures. I would say those sayings about wealth in my house. And 32 years later... It, I can say that God has been faithful to his promise. Has I, have I arrived? Absolutely not. But I am so far ahead of where I was 32 years ago, and we're able to, to give. You know, there's a, there is a, um, when we were in, living in Baton Rouge, there was a, a television program on called The Lottery. Uh, it was on for one season, I think, in 1984, 85, in that time frame. <clears throat> but The Lottery, it was a story about a guy that went around giving away uh, the money from the lottery. He'd 
give people a million dollars. Every week there was a new person he gave the money to. And most people would, would think, well, gosh, I'd like to be one of those guys that he gives a million dollars away to. I wanted to be the guy that was giving away the money. I wanted to be the guy that had the resources that he could, he could do that. He could give it. You know, there's a scripture in the New Testament that says it's more blessed to give than to receive. My, my brother-in-law, uh, David, is, has another, another take on that. He says it's more blessed to be able to give than to have to receive. In other words, if you have the ability to give, then you've already got it. You don't have to receive it. And so that's why, that's why you're more blessed to have received that. So anyway, you've got to, in order to, um, to receive the promise of God, we've got to keep the word before our eyes and speak it with our mouths. You know, the, I began to read after I was convinced that, that, uh, um, that God had a, um, that it was okay with God for me to have wealth and riches in my house. I began to read the rest of the, the rest of the psalm, and as I mentioned, the rest of the psalm describes other attributes of the Psalm 112 man, and one of them is what he does with his money. You know, he uh, he disperses abroad by the grace of God. That's that's verse nine. But one verse I want to look at today is Psalms 112 verse five, and because this is this is a, an amazing scripture that stood out to me. Um, but one Psalm 112 verse five says, good will come to them that are generous and lend freely, who guide their affairs with justice. Good will come. You know, just so that you'll know that this is not just an Old Testament principle, I want to take a look at two other scriptures. One of them is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 11. We'll just read this. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through your generosity uh, will result thanksgiving to God. Notice that term generosity. Well, we also saw that in Psalm 112 verse 5. It says, good will come to him who is generous. Well, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, this was Paul Writing to the Corinthians, there had been a, a, a famine or a, a great persecution of the church in Jerusalem. And they had great needs. They were under great persecution. And so Paul went to the Corinthian church and he said, look, we need your help in Jerusalem. These people have a difficult time. And so he had, they had pledged to give this money to the church in Jerusalem. And he makes a comment to the people that are in Corinth. He said, as it is written... Uh, he has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Well, where was he quoting when he, when he made that statement? He was quoting one, Psalm 112. He was telling the people they were fulfilling the promise that God made to them in Psalm 112, that they would have an abundance so that they could be generous in their giving. And so this is what he was talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, is that they were being Psalm, a Psalm 112 church. It's much like this church. I'm so thankful to be a part of Word of Life Church. You know, 
uh, not only with the hope for the holidays, uh, uh, hope for Christmas, the program that Pastor Joe was talking about earlier, where we could we could help those that have gone through a difficult time right now. But I remember back a few months ago when the, there was a bombing in Beirut, Lebanon, and we were able to send uh, thousands of dollars to to aid in that thing that took place. And and we this church does that all the time. And this church is functioning like a Psalm 112 church. But if we didn't have the resources, and as Pastor Joe calls it, the financial strength to do it, we wouldn't be able to fulfill that. But I believe that God gives the wealth to us because we we will do with it and be obedient to what God's called us to do. And that's exactly what he wants each of us to be. You know, I had a problem with having wealth, but there's a purpose for this wealth. There's a, in fact, let's read it again. Let's look at Psalm 112, um, verse 5. Good will come to him who is generous and lends freely. He who guides his affairs with justice. Good will come to him who is generous and lend free. Good will come. Good will come. That's an amazing word. Good will come. Say that. Say good will come. Good will come. You know, the, the uh, good will come to the person who is generous and lends freely. You know, this word lend here is not the lending in the traditional Western sense of the world. It's not like going to the bank and borrowing money at interest. This word for lend actually means entwining. It means to get involved with somebody like, your, like two pieces of twine that are twisted together to form a stronger piece of, of rope. Um, uh, it's, it's like us getting involved with somebody financially, getting, uh, partnering with them to help them accomplish something that they can't do on their own. That's what it means to lend, That was in the biblical sense, to lend freely. Good will come to him who is generous and lends freely. You know, something happens when... We give generously out of a heart from God. You know, this also says that um, who guides his affairs with justice. You ever wondered what that means? He will, he's generous, he lends freely, and he guides his affairs with justice. Well, that essentially just means he's led by the Spirit of God. This word justice means rendering a judgment, deciding what the place is that God wants you to help. You know, um, Paul told the Corinthians, he said, you have grace, graceful abound to you that you can have an abundance for every good work. Well, not every work is a good work for you. Sometimes the, the, there are works that you don't need to be involved with, but some works are good. The good works are the ones that God has called you to. And the Psalm 112 man guides his giving, his generosity with justice. In other words, he listens to the Holy Spirit and knows exactly when to give it and when not to give it. So, uh, that's a trait of the Psalm 112 man. That's a purpose for his money. He's generous and he lends freely. You know, there's a supernatural force that's released when we are generous in our giving. If we are, you know, Pastor Joel calls it radical generosity. And that's really what it is. It's okay. There's two things. One, it's okay for us to have wealth. Not only is it okay, but I believe God, it's God's promise. He wouldn't have promised it to us if he didn't have a plan for our money. But secondly... We need, it's, it's not just about us. It's not about building our coffers so that we can uh, have more for, uh, for uh, a rainy day. Uh, in fact, you remember the, the, the guy that built these barns? He said, I've got lots of stuff. I'm going to build bigger barns. And, and, and the, Jesus said, you fool, today your soul will be required of you. Well, he had an entirely wrong purpose for his wealth and for his abundance. Our wealth, our abundance 
is to meet the needs of other people. You know, when God gives us a gift, whether it's an anointing to do something or, or an ability to do something, those gifts that he gives to us are meant primarily for somebody else. They're not meant just to consume and use on ourselves. They're, they're for somebody else. And there's somebody else out there that's waiting for you to be a Psalm 112 person, man or woman. There's somebody out there waiting because you have a gift, your generosity, your ability to give. They're waiting for you because you're going to meet a need at some point in their life. And so for us not to receive the promise of God, to obtain the promise of God about being uh, a man who's with wealth in his house and, and he loves his spouse, and, and there's somebody that's going to miss out if you don't see that come to pass in your life. But there's a spiritual force that's released when we enter into radical generosity. You know, things begin to happen. Things begin to break loose. There's, a, um, there's something that takes place when we're obedient to God in our giving and with our resources that doors are opened up that wouldn't be opened up in any other way. You know, we've, David and I have seen in our, in our business uh, how when we are obedient and do what God tells us to do with our giving, that something happens and uh, new deals come to us. People come to us and want us to, to, to buy their company, and they're not going to charge us any, anything for it. I mean, these are the kind of things that happen. This is the kind of thing that I mean when I say good will come. Good will come to those who are generous and lend freely. The, you're giving generously uh, breaks loose things that might be held up that, are, that need to come to you, new business ideas, new, new graces, new opportunities, new things. They come when we're generous in our giving. And, and I think Pastor Joel uh, really is um, a great example of this with this church. You know, uh, we go far beyond. This is really unusual. Mostly don't know this, but churches just don't do this. I mean, we give hundreds of thousands of dollars every year uh, to um, missions, to missionaries, to projects, and it's generous giving, and people are blown away by that giving. Well, God wants us to do that too. I mean, we are doing it through our giving to the church, but... He wants you to be a generous giver. He wants you to be generous in your giving and lend freely. And the only way we can do that is if we believe God for the promises that he's, that he's given us. You know, most people don't, don't realize that Jesus uh, was a philanthropist. You know what a philanthropist is? It's somebody that does good, bestows benefits, and most, most of the time it's in the form of money. Look at uh, Acts 10.38. Acts 10.38 says... How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, who went about doing good and healing all those that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. He went about doing good. This, this word, doing, went about doing good. Have you ever thought about what that meant? Doing good? Doing good? We know he went about healing people, raised people from the dead. But what did it mean when he went about doing good? When he went about doing good? Well, the word, the Greek word here is eurgeteo. Eurgeteo, and it means to bestow benefits. It means to be a philanthropist. It means to give people stuff, to give people money. And, and so Jesus went about doing good. He went about being a philanthropist in addition to healing people. And people think, well, no, 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 no. Jesus was poor. He, that can't be true. It messes up my whole thinking about Jesus. He couldn't have been a philanthropist. Well, uh, he couldn't have had money. Well, if, I've, if he didn't have any money. He's the first guy with no money that I know of that needed a treasurer. That's what Judas was. 
Judas was a treasure. He held the box. Remember when Jesus got so uh, when Judas got so upset when the woman uh, broke the alabaster box and poured it on Jesus' head and feet, and he said, "We could have used that money to give to the poor. We could have. We could have. That money could have been used for the poor. Well, why would he have said that unless they had already been using money to give to the poor? You remember the night of the Last Supper when Jesus was sitting there talking to uh, Judas, and they were he was dipping in the cup at the same time, and he told Judas, he says." What you're going to do, go and do quickly. And then all, he got up and left abruptly from the Last Supper. And all the other disciples looked and said, and thought to themselves, he must have been going out to give to the poor. Now, why would they have thought that unless that's something that did it on a normal basis? You remember the guy at the, at the Gate Beautiful after the resurrection, after the, after the day of Pentecost, and Peter and John came by, and he was begging for alms? Well... He expected to get something, probably because he'd been given alms during the last three years when Jesus came by, every time he came by, because this was not a new place for this guy. This was this guy had been here all during that time. Of course, at that point, they said, we don't have any silver gold, but such as we have, give to you. We give to you. But Jesus uh, was a philanthropist. Jesus went about doing good. That's what I want to do. I want to go about doing good. And I want to be like Jesus. You know, Jesus said... These works that I do shall you do, and greater works shall you do, because I go to the Father. I think one of those works that he's called us to do is being philanthropists, being people that do good to people, doing people that give financially into people's lives when they need it, helping people that can't get it done without our help. There are missionaries all over this world and in Jackson, Mississippi, that need your help, that need your gift, that need your generosity. And, you know, the neat thing about the generosity, uh, about good coming to those who are generous, is that it's like filling a pipeline. You know, think about an oil um, pipeline. And once you get the oil started, as soon as you put the oil in it, you don't see anything out on the other end immediately. It takes a while for what's in there uh, and what continues to be put in that pipeline to push what's in there out on the other side. But as we're generous, it's just like our generosity is loading, loading stuff into the into the pipeline. It's loading good into the pipeline. And sooner or later, that good begins to flow out the other side to us. And so we're able to do more because God increases us more and more so we can do good. You know, sometimes it's, it's not something that we wait on. You know, back in 1988, when I was given this word, we were, Robert and I were tithers. We were, uh, we believed that, that God would rebuke the devourer for our sake. And, and he did. We had all of our needs met. We didn't have anything stolen from us. And and, you know, in, I began tithing when I was 16. Robin said she began tithing when she was six. But during my first job at age 16, first real job at age 16, I started to tithe because I believed what the word said. But that's not what I'm talking about today. I'm talking about giving, generous giving. The, 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 your tithe is not giving. It's, it's what belongs to God anyway. But even in that, during that time, I knew that God was taking care of us back in 1988. We were tithers, and we were seeing God uh, meet our needs. But God wanted to take us beyond that so that we could not only meet, have our needs met, but that we could meet the needs of other people. And, you know, you think, well, I don't have any extra right now. How can I be generous in my giving? You know, one of the things that we did, and I, uh, Robin probably will remember this, but I think during the 80s and early 90s, when this word was beginning to work in me, uh, we would give offerings in addition to the tithe. But there, was, there were two or three times 
when we had automobiles that we had paid off. And there was a couple in our church that needed an automobile. And although I didn't have a lot of money, I couldn't have gone out and bought them an automobile at that time because it was, this promise was still working. But we did have something in our hand. We had a paid off automobile. It used, we used to have notes on it, but we paid the notes and they were gone. And I think maybe three times during the 80s and early 90s, we gave uh, vehicles away to people that needed it. That was our way to give even, even when we didn't have wealth in our house. We had something that we could give. And, and so you've always got something in your hand. I remember Kenneth Copeland saying back when he was new in this, that he went to church and they were taking up the offering and this hit him that he, that he needed to give and giving would loose things in his life. And, and he didn't have anything to give, but they had a, in the back of the seat uh, cushion, they had a, they had a pencil where you could fill out your name and address. And he said, so I said, he said, so this is my pencil, I can have this and keep it? And they said, yes. And so he took it and, and he put it in the offering as his gift. That's what he had. He, he didn't have anything else, but he had a pencil. And he gave it. But that was the beginning of, of God beginning to loose things in his life so that, so that uh, good would come. And so you've got something. I'm not, I'm not telling you to give your car away. I'm not telling you to do something like that. But I'm just telling you, listen to God. Because God has ways during the time that this promise is being fulfilled in your life that will... Uh, speed the process, if you, if I can say that, say it that way. Things that you can give generously that that uh, may seem out of the ordinary, but it's still God telling you to do something like that, and it blesses the other people. It, it causes them to to have the resources they need to accomplish what God's called them to do. Um, hallelujah! I wasn't planning to say that, but the the uh, the important thing for you to hear this morning is. God's okay with you having wealth. And if we're going to obtain that promise, as we found in Psalm 112, and I encourage you to read the book, there's something about reading a book as opposed to hearing a message. You can go back and read it again, and uh, it, it can make a huge impact in your life. So I encourage you to read the book because there's a lot, lot in there that obviously we weren't going to cover today. Um, but I want you to get that God is okay with you having wealth. It's not something that's, that's, that's uh, mutually exclusive from being a, a true Christian. I mean, in fact, God says, look, if you love me, you love my word, then wealth and riches will be in your house. That's my promise to you. That's God telling you that that's one of the promises you can believe for. And so I encourage you to do that. But then secondly, I I want you to understand that God has a purpose for your resources, a purpose for your money. And the purpose is not you. The purpose is somebody else. And there are a lot of opportunities during Christmas time. There are a lot of people in your life, maybe not necessarily in church, but that you know, that you see, that you can help. That's radical generosity. That's giving with justice. That's giving based on what God tells you to do. And I want to encourage you that as you give that, that remember this other promise that good will come. Good will come. In fact, as you give it, say to yourself and your spouse, good will come. Good's coming. Good's on the way. The pipeline is getting filled, and, that, and, the, and the goodness is going to start rushing out of that pipeline. We're going to get new opportunities, new deals, new graces that are going to come to us as a result of being obedient to God in our generosity.